Hello, Michael. Hey, Will. How's it going? Doing well. How are you? Pretty good. What are we talking about today? I think we're talking about rotational grazing. What is that? Well, uh, I'm not entirely sure on a technical definition, but if I were to just break down the word parts, I would say it's probably grazing that rotates. So maybe like a, a pasture that's on a swivel that kind of like moves uh, with the underneath the cows or something like that. Uh, but we have some experts on, so maybe we should ask them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, that answer. Kevin, you want to jump in and give us an actual answer? From my, my years of doing this rotational grazing, uh, what I really look at is this, you know, the time plan movement of, of the livestock around a, you know, well-managed pasture. So, I mean, it's, there's so many various ways to do it, tons of different ways to fence. Um, some people can do it, you know, with absolute minimal fencing. Some people have set paddocks. So it's really flexible movement and, and getting livestock where they need to be at the right time and right growth stages. To me, rotational grazing is actually where my employees, of which we have about 90 of them, they have all-weather cabs, their four-wheel drives, their harvesting, digesting, um, manure spreading units that will actually annually lay down and give you a stock split. Um, and so essentially rotational grazing is the controlled movement of livestock of any species through a system where they harvest their own forages. Welcome to Field Notes from UW-Madison Extension. I'm Will Fulwider, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Geisinger. We bring farmers, experts, and agronomists to the table to talk about research-based approaches to the issues facing agriculture in Wisconsin. Joking aside and uh, those good definitions ahead of us, I'm excited to be talking about one of my favorite uh, agronomy and livestock topics today, which is rotational grazing with some of the best people to talk to about it in the state. Uh, so we're joined by Mary C. Anderson and Kevin Mahalko today. Mary C. is a Wisconsin DNR grazing specialist, retired dairy farmer, and current grass-fed beef farmer near uh, the Whitehall, Wisconsin area. And Kevin is a grass-fed dairy farmer near Gilman, Wisconsin, where he is also a grazing educator for River Country RCND. Kevin also serves as the president of Grassworks in Wisconsin, which is a grassroots organization focused on grazing. Mary C. and Kevin, thanks for coming on today. Uh, could you take a minute to share some background about your role and farms and what your rotational grazing setup looks like? And Mary C., we'll start with you. Okay, uh, we have a farm, like you mentioned, we are in just about in the middle of perfect central of uh, Trumplow County. So we are in the Driftless area. We have um, two farms. One farm is about 115 acres, and that is set up in eight large paddocks of which they are subdivided into smaller subunits, typically acre, acre and a half in size, 
um, where our herd has moved through um, their paddock rotation as well as we harvest forage. We're 100% grass-fed, grass-finished. Um, and then of course, our other property, because it's a little more remote, we actually just do seasonal grazing there. So the livestock come in the spring, they rotate around the property throughout the summer. And then about deer hunting season, um, we we take them back to the home farm. Uh, my full-time um, duties uh, with the Wisconsin DNR is we are actually efforting doing um, managed grazing with a little bit of a twist because it's more of a conservation grazing on public grasslands across Wisconsin. And those grasslands are, are under the care of the wildlife management. And we are working with our partner farmers to bring livestock onto the properties and rotationally graze them. Kevin, do you want to talk about your operation a bit? Well, I'm farm, you know, looking at almost 30 years ago at this point, you know, we started, you know, really getting, you know, some interest in what what are these crazy grazer people doing? And like, you know, we, we'd always done some pasturing. It was always very, you know, important of our family farming history. Uh, and Mary was actually one of the, one of the leading kind of um, evangelists about grazing even way back then. So we got in with a lot of, you know, really great neighbors and uh, the grazing networks, which is why I, personally I still love being a part of that. But our farm is, it's been like a 30 to 50 cow dairy, you know, traditionally all these years. And we've gotten into also doing some uh, grass-fed uh, beef sales and then uh, kind of more more about 20 years ago we started transitioning to organic so we've been we've been with the organic side now for over i think 12 13 years so it's um grazing has given us a lot of flexibility you know even right from the start like you know a way to to do to do a successful dairy farm convent you know in the conventional market i remember in those days like you know a lot of a lot of neighbors were were doing this and a lot of people who are really good at grazing are still actually in our in our network so that's that's been cool um what i what i really like is the ecology part of it and the community and just really the you know, just with the animals, with our dairy cows, they're they're really you know happy. They they grow well. They're we've just created a system where, you know, it's the cows will basically follow you anywhere you go. You get to be the shepherd in a sense, and you know it's it's just friendly. It's a friendly system. Like we can go, we know every we know all the the cattle and calves, every everybody individually and. You know the dogs like running out, running out there to the pasture. I have a pasture cat too, and you know it's just it's a fun it's just a fun way to to work in nature. So I like the idea of a pasture cat. <laughs> right for me, it's well, like it's like the lion on the on the veld or the savanna, but I, miniaturized. Sure, I, 
he is probably honestly worth thousands of dollars because he patrols like the bales, you know, all that stuff, you know, keeps everything being quality high and amazing. It's just, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, uh, I definitely don't have to tell either of you uh, that it's been a pretty dry year so far. Um, we have had seen very little rain in May and June here in 2023. In fact, it's the second driest May June combo that uh, Wisconsin seen, at least here in southern Wisconsin, uh, where I'm at. Um, and I'm wondering kind of how does rotational grazing uh, play into that? How can you use rotational grazing to help extend the grazing season as long as possible and keep your cows out on the grass or, you know, other livestock as well? Well, you know, one thing about the, you know, the weather, climate, you know, what, however people want to look at it, you know, it's always variable and the the best thing about the, the managed grazing system is the flexibility and, you know, for whatever rain we didn't get this year, every bit of it is, has gone to use. So, you know, we have, we have cover, like, you know, even from fall, you know, we have good ground cover, um, living plants, living uh, soil biology. And, you know, this year we did have, we had early snow cover and it didn't really freeze on a lot of the, the, you know, below that soil surface, so we can put fence posts in most places all all winter. So when we did get rains, that got into the soil. So the you know the the biggest thing is like we're we're resource based, and you know we're trying to you know always protect and and maintain everything that we get on a farm. Like I think some strategies that have maybe for the future is looking at, you know, possibly doing like an irrigation pond. But um, with what, what we have, we, we've had a really good um, first round of grazing. Our second round has been, has been, I would say good, but it's starting to diminish a bit because of the, the dry. And we always have to have our backup plans, right? So like our, we have um, looked at our harvest window for our hay crop and how we kind of integrate that in with in, in with the grazing side of it to set up our our um, just like the the pattern we do of moving the cattle across the across that farm. So it's always a balancing act, like you know, really trying to to do the maximum amount of growth we can get when we have. You know, we start getting that solar energy available to us to convert this uh, um, pasture into good quality forage. So a lot of strategies. Um, some of it is also like what we've interceded over the years, you know, plants that are adapted a little bit better to, you know, these these variable conditions. And in kind of utilizing the things that the, the graze what grows to our maximum, you know, benefit. So, and then really sticking with the principles of, of um, the timing, not overgrazing, not taking that, say when, when the, when the pasture starts to regrow, we definitely want to stay off of that until it has a chance to really express itself. I think Mary's got, she's got a lot more too here. <laughs> some of the strategies that we've begun to you know we we always pay attention to what we get for moisture and 
in the process, once the grazing starts in the springtime, we're just keenly aware of where we're going and where we want to be across the landscape within that 30 to 45 day period. Um, we keep a very tight eye on how much the herd is actually taking down. And so if we go in and the grass is like 20 inches tall and we know that we're headed for a deficit with moisture, instead of taking it down to six inches, we'll probably leave 12 behind so that there's adequate photosynthetic area for that plant to not really have to pull out of root reserves to grow photosynthetic area to then begin the, the, the regrowth process, which typically takes about four to six days, depending on the species of the grass, once it's been harvested or bitten off by the cow. Um, we also, we don't wanna get into stored feed too early. Um, and so we may pull in a hay field or two so that we stay with that longer rest period, which gives the forage plants an opportunity to take care of themselves. And so we've gone to slightly larger paddocks. Our grazing time has been um, typically in that 12 to 24 hours per rotation per movement across the paddock, but we want to really leave a good base of residual material. A, it protects the, the soil from, you know, 95 degrees. You can take a thermometer and put it in a grass stand at six inches tall, and the soil temperature will be 10 to 15 degrees cooler than bare soil right next to it. And that's important because then we're not losing soil moisture by it radiating off by keeping it in the shade. Yeah, and Mary, see when you're uh, talking about moving those livestock like every 12 to 24 hours is, are you keeping those stocking rates higher during a dry period than you usually would? Or uh, what kind of stocking rates are you thinking with that per paddock? We've act because our paddocks, we're making our paddocks larger. Primarily, we use poly wire. Um, some folks will use uh, poly tape. We do the poly wire, it's lightweight, it's mobile, um, geared reels, pigtail posts. So, mobile fencing is critical. We're making our paddocks larger and giving them less time in that individual paddock so they're not overgrazing it. You really want to be sure to leave a lot of residual material. And so our stocking rates per acre are actually lower during drought times than they are in a normal moisture cycle. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, both of you have seen a ton of different grazing systems around Wisconsin. Uh, mm -hmm. And so what are a couple of the most common ways that a grazer can maximize their forage utilization while maintaining their stands? And Mary C., you already started that conversation with talking about residuals. Is there anything you wanted to add to that before uh, seeing what Kevin has to say? You really want to run your stock calculations. 
you want to be accurate. Um, the book work tells us that an animal unit is a thousand pounds. And I've seen a number of producers that, well, you know, they say an animal unit, you know, is a thousand pounds. And it's like, well, look at your livestock. I know that my animal units are not 1,000 pounds. My animal units, a cow is going to be 1.4. If she's got a calf outside, that's going to be another, you know, that's going to add a couple tenths back onto that. So when you do your stock calculations, you want to be really accurate on your weights. Because if your weights are too low, then you will always overgraze. And so knowing your stock weights and your stock calculations, what is appropriate per acre on your farm based on your soil types is critical. And Kevin, do you want to add a little bit to that? I think that's, you know, the whole thing about planning and looking at your soil type, kind of your, your temperature zone and there's so many factors into this. Also, you know, the type of stock you have, um, beef, you know, beef animals are different than dairy. If we're talking specifically with cattle. Um, I have almost two different styles now with um, my young stock. And, you know, say like I have, I have like calves that can, you know, go from, you know, calf size up to like a 1600 or whatever pound steer. Uh, they have different forage requirements. Uh, both, both this daily calculation of how much dry matter and the quality and type, you know, the, of dry matter you're looking at. So, like for one, one thing I'm doing with this drought management is, um, I've basically stockpiled. You know, I have a lot of I have about probably about seventy acres that hasn't been hayed or grazed yet this year. And I'm I'm going into some some pasture that's even like, you know, the grass part of it would be four to six feet tall. And the, the actually the legumes are just starting to flower, you know. So we, we had, you know, kind of a delay on legumes, but the grasses got out pretty fast this year. But I'm I'm giving them uh like tighter tighter breaks but you know then i which means i give them a little bit smaller area but then two or three times a day move moves through there and then i have about eight eight inch residual that gets oftentimes kind of like matted down a bit as a cover and then you know we have have a chance to like mary said like this armor on the soil to protect it from you know, too much, too much direct sunlight and, you know, something there to capture, even if we get dews in the, in the morning. So there's, um, <laughs> with, with managed grazing, it's the, it's the management, right. And there's so many, so many variables. And I think that's where, you know, the experimentation, you know, basically monitoring and seeing, you know, what's happening and always, always remembering that whole the rest, the rest period on the on the pasture is like <laughs> that the, the rest is the absolute key i think to any of this like 
when we've traditionally thought of pasture in, in Wisconsin, it's been this, you know, farmers traditionally would put cattle out and they just stay out on 40 acres and kind of wander around, right? And, you know, we had some people that did actually break it down into, you know, maybe five acre fields historically, and then they'd rotate every two weeks or something. But, you know, getting getting down to this intensity where we can use, you know, polywire and, you know, now even it's it's kind of on the forefront of this, but even the possibility of, you know, like the um, virtual fencing, you know, it's, there's just more, there's just more options. And I think we'll have even more, more options as we, as we go, but setting up, setting up fence to me is like a, it's fun. It's like I'm out in, you know, working where I want to be working with the cattle and it's good exercise. So for me, it's, it's, there's just, <laughs> there's a lot of side benefits with it too. So. Oh, there's that Take factor it. as well. <laughs> Right. I mean, you're just taking a hike and walk through nature all the time. So that's, that's cool. There are a lot worse jobs than that one. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I kind of want to go back to something that you'd mentioned earlier, Kevin, um, when you talked about interceding uh, different species uh, and how that can, you know, change management or whatever. We're in an adverse condition as far as the growing season goes. We like we've been talking about with drought and I'm wondering, other than, you know, using rotational grazing as a tool to maintain those residuals in order to have continued grass growth when we have very little rain, you know, what other management strategies can you do for your pastures, like species selection, um, in order to make them more resilient to kind of extreme weather, like what we're seeing right now? You know, we we kind of started out, like, with the idea of graze what grows, right? And, and that does work very well. You know, there's there's definitely huge potential there, but also like we've also learned, you know, like through, through these years, you know, seeing what's working on other farms and now some seed companies and, you know, researchers looking at, you know, different varieties and, you know, coming up with these, these different pasture mixes and, you know, it's actually, you know, some imported um, species from, you know, primarily Europe, cool season grass, a lot of it. Um, they do fit in pretty well and 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 mesh well with 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 our particular environment. And where I've done that is like where we have sites where we outwinter the cattle and we have a little bit of hoof traffic or damage and we might replant. That's where we've we've primarily done a lot of this. And then we've done some no-till also into existing pasture. But I've seen really good results with things like meadow fescue and, you know, some better clovers. Um, going to this more diversity, like, you know, getting things like, uh, you know, plantain, chicory, you know, just the, a wide variety of grasses, um, trying for other other legumes. Um, we're, we can't necessarily replant alfalfa in, into an existing alfalfa stand, obviously, but um getting having that diversity just seems to promote better resilience whether it's wet or or dry because there's hopefully a, a different root profile you know some some differences there like alfalfa will definitely uh tap into you know deeper 
um, soil water reserve. The um, kind of locally adapted things that we've been able to plant the, in Wisconsin, we have this um, a metal fescue that's you know looking pretty good. If we can get more research and more, there, there's just so an incredible amount of potential in the genetics of, of of pasture that I would like to see you know studied and developed. And I I think we have a just a huge amount of gain that we can we can do there. Oh, and I think Kevin, the point you're really trying to get get right down to is you got to have diversity, and right. monocultures put you in a very precarious situation because one species may out may not do well in certain conditions, and another species, the more species of legumes, grasses that you have in your paddock sward benefits you on a multitude of levels. We graze a lot of alfalfa because a percentage of our property is um, sandy, very droughty. Um, pod irrigation works as well. You can use, you know, adding water always helps. Um, on the public land side, what we've experienced, especially when we've been grazing warm season grasses, that they do have a place within the grazing system. Why? Because warm season grasses, they like it when it's hot. They grow well when it's hot and dry. Um, some of the issues with the warm season grasses is it takes a number of years to get them established. And unless you're, I'm going to say land rich, it's hard to plant a, you know, plant a group of seeds and wait for three years before you really get a productive crop out of it. And so diversity across your pastures will help manage drought situations, excessive water situations. And it's really the art of grazing tied in with the species of what you have. Um, if somebody's attempting to start a, a grazing farm, where there's been extensive corn and soybean production, don't graze what grows because you won't be happy with it. You're going to need to put seed into the ground um, to get a good sward that's a good nutritional mix because we're also looking for nutrition, right? Um, to keep the livestock, whether it's goats, sheep, hogs, beef cattle, dairy cattle, young stock, older stock, we really want to provide them the best feed possible and having a good eclectic mix will help kind of armor you against some of these drought conditions that we're experiencing now. It's always fun to talk about all these different ways that grazing systems can hone in on their resilience and adapt to different uh, conditions that we're faced with in different years and how well livestock can perform on that. Uh, but I do want to start kind of wrapping up and bringing us home. So I'll ask you guys a question that we tend to ask a version of in every episode of Field Notes. And uh, that is just, if you had one piece of advice for someone that might be interested in adopting a grazing system or improving their current grazing system, uh, what would it be? And then Mary C. will have you answer that first. 
one piece only one piece one piece maybe two <laughs> this is that a one pie. piece can have a lot of parts <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes definitely um there's two things i really want to hone in on one of them is soil sampling just because you're entering a managed grazing system it's not like the pasture systems of old where it's wasteland it's maybe too steep to farm, maybe too wet to farm. Um, if you're putting your pasture system on good productive ag land, that is going to be your ticket to win. Pay attention, manage your soils. Don't forget, good soil science is good soil science, right? Also, get linked up with a grazing network because they're... The, the mechanics of a grazing system are relatively simple. There's fence, there's electricity, and there's tools to move the livestock, right? Water systems, laneways, the mechanics are very simple, but there's art involved in managed grazing. And that's where having that peer support from a grazing network, a farmer in your neighborhood who's a seasoned grazer can really help you avoid some of the stumbling blocks that you may encounter because grazers love to talk about successes and they love to talk about failures. And it's a great way to ensure that um, they can improve their existing or really get off on the right foot in development of a grazing system on their property. Kevin, what was what is the the one piece of advice that you want to share? The one piece, you know, <laughs> I think honestly, with the way uh, farming is, the the absolute number one best thing I love about grazing is just the people. You know, meeting meeting somebody like Mary in the grazing networks, and you know, getting getting all these um, you know great pieces of advice and. I think having a, a this attitude of just continuous learning and you know listening and seeing observing everything that's that's what makes a really a great farmer and a great grazer and, and you know we have that and I think it's you know when I think back to like say 30 years ago there's been you know markets are developed there's you know just so much more knowledge and you know just a, a ton of people that we can we can visit with and I think that's that's the the number one thing I would I would say, and 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 on the farm on the grazing farming side of it, the way that you can make it to some of these meetings is absolutely develop a good efficient fencing system. I don't care how like like how um fancy or expensive it is, but it has to be effective and it has to get done in time so that you, you can do all these other things um that's that's just an absolute key working i think you really also have to have a love for the livestock that's you know on my my side is you know working in dairy i really do like the dairy cows that you know i like equipment but it's you know it's kind of a that's not the driver i, I love hay equipment it's I the more the more time I don't spend in the tractor, the better at this point. So the thing like an ATV or you know, whatever bike that 
things things that just make all of these uh, movements easier. I consider that as part of my my fencing management tools. Yeah. Well, words of advice from the experts and a shameless plug for Kevin's organization talking about grazing networks. If you're interested in <laughs> connecting with your local grazing networks, you know, go ahead and visit grassworks.org to find out who's grazing in your neighborhood and who you can talk to asking advice or just contact Kevin. <laughs> um, well, Kevin and Mary, uh, C, Mary C, thanks so much for coming on today. We really appreciate it. Happy grazing, everybody. Thanks for listening. This has been Field Notes from UW-Madison Extension. My name is Will Fulwider, Regional Crops Educator for Dane and Dodge Counties. And I was joined by my co-host, Michael Geisinger, Outreach Specialist in Northwest Wisconsin for the Nutrient and Pest Management Program of UW-Madison. A big thank you to Joe Ryan for creating our theme music and to Abby Wilkie-Maki for our logo. If you have any questions about anything you've heard today or about your farming practices in general, reach out to the Extension Agriculture Educators serving your region.